This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. As many of you listening know, on this program we explore the various facets of religion, including its dark side. One significant example of that would be the tragedy of the ethnic cleansing in Kashmir, India, that brought death and displacement to hundreds of thousands of Hindus, Christians, Sikhs, and other minority religions a little over 30 years ago. In 2019, the Indian Parliament voted to bring the state of Jammu and Kashmir in line with the rest of the Indian states, something that we'll explore in detail in just a moment. What followed was, in my mind, one of the greatest miscarriages of journalistic integrity in recent times. Almost universally, the issue was reported with no historical context. One could read about it in the New York Times, Washington Post, or hear about it on NPR, without any mention of the genocide a generation back. Some of you might recall that a couple of years ago we discussed an excellent book on this, Days of Destiny. Well, now that some time has passed, there may be more to discover about both the history and the current status of life in Kashmir by chatting with director Vivek Agnihotri, whose latest film, The Kashmir Files, has been touring the U.S. over the past couple of months to invite-only audiences. It is set to open in theaters in India in January of 2022, and we'll find out how people outside of the subcontinent, or those VIPs here in America who scored invitations, will be able to see what many critics are calling a very important work in understanding this history. So our guest today, again, is Vivek Agnihotri. He is an Indian film director, screenwriter, author, and activist. As of 2019, he's a member of India's Central Board of Film Certification and a representative of Indian cinema at the Indian Council for Cultural Relations. He won the National Film Award for Best Screenplay, Dialogues for the Tashkent Files, in 2019. He debuted in Bollywood with the crime thriller Chocolate, not to be confused with the French film Chocolat, in 2005, and has directed multiple films since. So we welcome to Common Threads, Vivek Agnihotri. Hello, Vivek. Hi, Fred. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. My first question, sir, this is the first major film that tells the truth about the Kashmiri Hindu genocide without sugarcoating it or trying to make excuses for perpetrators and their enablers. Now, I hear that the movie does a good job in presenting the many counter-arguments that several people give to explain the Kashmiri situation. Throughout, however, you don't delve too much into the politics of the situation, such as not explaining too much about what Article 370 is, not focusing too much on the role of the Kashmiri ministers, etc. I'm curious, was this a conscious decision to keep the politics at bay while telling the human story? Yeah, absolutely. I think you figured it out very well. You know, when I started four years ago researching uh, this uh, theme, what I uh, actually one of the reasons why I, I, I decided to uh, do this film is I realized that there has been only political discussion around Kashmir. Whenever you talk about Kashmir, people are uh, discussing only politics. But in last 70 years, why I'm saying 70 to 72 years is since freedom, India found independence, there have been non-stop continuous killings and kind of mini genocides in Kashmir. Sometimes uh, Hindus are killed, sometimes Muslims were killed, sometimes police officers, army officers. There has not been a day when somebody is not, was not being killed. And nobody ever spoke about them. Nobody looked at the human side of this uh, uh, conflict. So I said, okay, uh, since nobody has made a film on this Hindu genocide, where definitely uh, on record more than 1,600 people were killed, Though actually, I, I have reasons to believe that the number is running to four to five thousand, but uh, office—I mean—the records are of sixteen hundred people. 
because most of the people did not even report. So then I started researching this, and I realized that the human pain and suffering there was unparalleled. And that's why I focused only on human stories. Uh, in fact, you mentioned Article 370. We had a very long, elaborate scene which I shot for the film, which was there till the very last minute. But in the last minute, I just deleted it. I took it out. I said, no, this will take away from the human mind will start discussing Article 370 while watching the film. Uh, we should not get into that. For that, there are politicians and media to discuss. Uh, very quickly, though, we should probably mention it here because for a lot of this audience, they they would have no idea what 370 is. But in, in brief, that brought the state of Jammu and Kashmir in line with uh, standard Indian law because they, they had a certain amount of autonomy that other Indian states did not, correct? Yeah, so Article 370 gave a special uh, privilege to Kashmir where they could... Uh, they had their own constitution, their own flag, and they were loosely connected with India. Uh, and it was a very temporary uh, article. It was supposed to be for a few months, but that it carried on for 70-plus years because of uh, political compulsions. When it was abrogated, uh, Kashmir became integral part of India. Kashmiri Hindus have been refugees within their own land, and Indians, even those living in Jammu, we're not aware of the atrocities this community faced at the hands of jihadis. Throughout this film, as you spread awareness, what is the biggest outcome you hope to achieve? How do you wish to see this film impact Indians and the world at large? Okay, so this tour of mine is called Right to Justice Tour, and the theme of the film is also Right to Justice, because we believe that in a democracy, the, fundament, the first fundamental uh, right should be justice. And if these people in 32 years have not got any justice, then the democracy must be questioned, if not by politicians, definitely by creative people like us. And that is the whole purpose of the film. And I didn't want to preach anyone. I just wanted a rest of the Indians, not Kashmiri Pandit community. In fact, this film is not meant for Kashmiri uh, Pandit community. It is primarily uh, meant for the people who don't know about it. And wherever we have done screenings uh, so far, and we have had all sold-out houseful uh, screenings, everywhere, rest of the Indians, people from South, East, West, suddenly they come together and they feel so united. There is a kind of a healing effect which has started taking place. Just to give you an example, uh, Girja Tikku, who was the most brutal murderer, and it is quoted as... Uh, the most barbarian uh, murder ever. Her brother uh, sent me a message saying that for 32 years they never ever discussed uh, her sister's killing. It's only this film has started healing them and now they, the family has started discussing it. And there are not one but hundreds of cases like this. So that is uh, one uh, impact of the movie that it started a conversation amongst families of Kashmiri Hindus and non-Kashmiri Hindus, and people are feeling united. And the second thing is, we have shown it to a lot of policymakers, congressmen, different kinds of people, different ethnicities, and I want to take, make people aware of this issue uh, because nobody even knows about it. So I want to make people aware and start conversations around it so that more people write literature on it, make documentaries and movies, and slowly the world becomes aware that how they ignored this uh, human tragedy. And is the film uh, entirely in Hindi? No, it's mixed. It's Hindi plus Kashmiri language, you know. Okay. So, so a lot of film is in Kashmiri language, but it is subtitled. So, so far in U.S., uh, nobody had a problem. Okay, that's good. Could you give us the basics of the plot? Okay, so actually there there was... See, normally when you write a film, you think of a plot, then you create a structure. But this is a very unique film because we said, let's just go. Uh, four years ago, me and my wife, Pallavi Joshi, we decided that, okay, let's do uh, in-depth research. And we will go to homes of first generation uh, victims of this genocide. And we chased them, found them wherever they are in the world. 
So starting with U.S., then U.K., then in India, a lot of people from Far East and from South Africa, wherever, Australia, New Zealand, wherever they were spread, we went to their houses, we ate food with them and did long interviews of them uninterrupted. And then what we did was corroborated all this information uh, with academic books, with historians, with politicians, with retired officers, with international and uh, domestic media. And then we arrived at the most common threads amongst uh, all these things. And we picked up these stories and weaved them just in one timeline. You know, so in, in a way, the plot is Kashmir genocide, but we follow the story of uh, a family uh, and how they were eventually killed and uh, with all based on true stories, real people. And so basically the plot of the film is that f uh, four friends meet after 30 years who haven't spoken to each other in the last 30 years. And while sitting together, how they discover uh, what happened. And all these people were posted as very important officials in 1990, and they realized how they failed. All of them failed, uh, doctor, journalist, uh, government officer, police officer, how all the, all the, uh, the entire system, how it collapsed. Uh, your wife, Palavi Joshi, she portrays uh, a character by the name of Professor Radhika Menon. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And... This is interesting. It, it seems, from what I understand, the character eerily familiar, especially to those who have witnessed the uh, Stand with Kashmir movement and the Dismantle Global Hindutva Symposia that have been held throughout U.S. colleges. Uh, how did you research this this character? And, and also, could you comment about the use of our, meaning the United States, education systems to influence young minds? to turn to violence and insurgency? See, uh, I, have, uh, a, I have been very active in student politics when I used to study. Uh, not much has changed since then, except for now the professors have also become activists. And earlier students used to do politics, and now professors also do, especially in case of India. But in U.S. also, wherever I have traveled, uh, I, I give lecture in lots of universities uh, for last few years I've been doing in U.S. And everywhere I go and I see the faculty has become uh, very active when it comes to political activism. And mostly uh, there is no space for the other voice. Uh, and that is one issue which has been bothering me for a very long time. And if you see all my films, whatever I have made in last few years, all the films have somewhere an undercurrent or in some way or the other they touch upon this issue. Because you can fight terrorism with guns. But how do you fight academic terrorism? I'm, why I'm saying terrorism is the reason is that I'm more in the context of India, let me tell you. What is happening is that in campuses, they are celebrating now dreaded terrorists. Terrorists who are uh, in the list of top 10 terrorists of the world. Um, uh, the FBI's uh, list, if you look at uh, M15's list, or any intelligence, counter-terrorism intelligence agency in the world, all these dreaded terrorists like Hafiz or Afzal and all these people are now being celebrated and made heroes in the university. And it's not that the students are doing it. These are all sponsored, organized events by the professors. Professors also come and give speeches in that. And they also say that these people are actually great people. So when you're making heroes of terrorists who were involved in attacking the Twin Towers in U.S. or the Taj Hotel in India or killing innocent people and people who actually are the perpetrators of Kashmir genocide, then I think it's a very dangerous situation. Now the same people find their voice gets amplified in American universities. So which means there is a nexus between all these academic, um, uh, the, the academia, you know, all over the world. And that's why I said it's very important if they are such a powerful group to give them a very strong voice in the film. And I gave them the strongest voice in the film. Uh, in fact, till the very climax, people actually want to... Uh, uh, 
get out of the theater because it's become so powerful. And I said, let me give voices to all kinds of arguments in the film and let the audience decide on their own what is right and what is wrong. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today is Vivek Agnihotri. He is the director of the film The Kashmiri Files. And um, real quick, when would you expect American audiences to be able to see this en masse? Currently, you're on this tour, you're showing it to select audiences, but somebody who's listening to this right now and and wants to see it, and not in a major city, because you're only going to really significantly metropolitan areas. Uh, When when will the rest of us be able to see it? Uh, The film is uh, scheduled to release worldwide on 26th of January, but I don't know because with the increasing uh, the surge in COVID cases, I don't know how the world is going to behave, where there's going to be a lockdown. Uh, so I am going back to India in the next couple of days. And once we uh, uh, regroup there, we are going to uh, reconsider the date of release. But as soon as things are pretty normal and people go back to cinema halls, uh, this film will be released worldwide, yeah. And uh, specifically theatrical release as opposed to some of the platforms like Hulu and Amazon and all of that? Yeah, that choice I had for last couple, uh, one, one year, uh, but I decided not to do that. It's very, see, this is, this is a kind of film which is meant for cinema, though we started before the COVID came. That's why it was designed like that. This is an uh, absolute experience film. And this kind of experience you can have only when you're watching it in a dark theater. So I'll try my best to release it in a theater. I'm a purist uh, filmmaker. Uh, But if the situation um, um, doesn't permit us to release it in theater, then definitely we will consider releasing on uh, international OTT platforms. No, I I certainly understand what you're saying. Just the other night, uh, I saw the uh, latest film... um uh, with Bradley Cooper, Nightmare Alley. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, there's no way in the world I could just sit there in my room watching it on my iPad. This is something that absolutely needs to be seen in a theater. So I can certainly understand your uh, your feelings on this for your movie. Uh, what, uh, what sort of response? Have you gotten a backlash? Uh, is there negative publicity f- uh, that is following you as well as positive publicity? Yeah, uh, that is very obvious, but one has to see where this negative publicity is coming from. And you will find that somewhere or the other, there are going to be two kinds of groups, you know. Because this film, people who have not seen, uh, they may assume anything, but this film is not about uh, religion, it's it's, it's not about inter-community problems, it's primarily about terrorism. It just says what happens when humanity is absent. And which I think is a great message of the film. And that's why you see unanimously people are connecting, crying. Every single person in the theater keeps crying for 15, 20 minutes after the film is over. But the people who have not seen it, who are these people? People who have vested interest in keeping Kashmir in conflict. People who basically want to cover up uh, the terrorism and the ideological terrorism uh, which is being propagated by... uh, the allies. So these are the people, and which is very obvious. I mean, do I don't know if you are aware that there is a, a fatwa issued against me, and this fatwa means a religious decree to kill somebody. And who are these people who issued fatwa? And who are the people who did not condemn this fatwa? So these two groups, you will find the ones who issue uh, kinds of things like fatwa, and there are people who support that. So these are the people who will do negative publicity for the film. I was not aware of the fatwa. Uh, yeah. How long has that been on your head? Oh, when I was shooting last year or early this year um, in January, February in Kashmir, uh, that is the time they issued a fatwa against me. And do you take any specific precautions in your life? I, I'm a very different kind of person. Yes, <laughs> the state government gave me uh, police protection, but I did not take it because that makes it more obvious. And yes, in Kashmir, we had a lot of security with us because uh, that is not in my control. 
so we had huge huge uh, uh, security with us otherwise it's impossible to shoot over there uh, but as far as uh, other places are concerned i just uh, i'm on my own i hope that the government in uh, in india back in india the government keeps an eye um, around me you know well certainly did you shoot this in kashmir also we shot in kashmir also uh, a major part of the film was shot in a place called uttarakhand which is like mountains in the north and uh, uh, then a whole lot of film we shot in kashmir i see and it's interesting because when the abrogation of 370 took place a couple of years ago the media was just it was like a feeding frenzy uh seeing all of the challenges that 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 engendered such as being cut off from the world the the, the no uh, email communication no cyber connection etc cetera, etc cetera. now that that is all gone by the wayside what is life like in kashmir for most of the citizens i don't think much has changed in kashmir uh i'll give you a reason and this i have uh, interacted with local young boys and girls at length you know and this is one of the reasons they shoot fatwa against me because i was interacting a lot with younger younger lot as far as the uh, see kashmir has two kinds of people one uh who haven't seen anything uh, all the all 30 year old people who were born after 1990 they have not seen any diversity and they have not uh, seen any music art culture anything you know and they have uh, lived in a very politically volatile and a religious uh, extreme re- religious cocoon uh, for example this young little girl uh, who we used for shooting uh was uh, um, she didn't even know that there is any other kind of a faith being practiced in the world and she was expecting us to uh, do namaz because she thought this is the only way so this entire generation which was born after 1990 have no world view then there are other people who were born before 1990 who have seen diversity and all those kind of things they are pre old people now uh these are primarily the two kinds of uh, groups you'll find but the younger lot uh, uh, have started looking up to their future post abrogation of article 370 and they assume that now they will get jobs which a lot of them are getting also they think there will be a lot of development so they are in a very confused state on one hand they are very hopeful and they want to uh, become part of the mainstream india because uh, they through tv through digital they know what is happening in uh, rest of india so they want to become part of the mainstream but on the other hand this pre 1990 generation does not let them you know to be hopeful so it's right now i think it's going through a transition it will take few years before uh, things become better because i've seen whole lot of development projects have started but by the time they are ready to give them job and the prosperity will be another few years and would you say that the rest of india is supportive of uplifting jammu and kashmir oh yeah see uh, kashmir to india is what jerusalem uh, is to israel so there is nobody in india kashi and kashmir these two places are uh, revered and everybody they are a very integral part of india so rest of india definitely want kashmir to uh, prosper in fact um, at a very superficial level in fact rest of india just wants to travel to kashmir and uh, you know and spend their summers over there like they used to filmmakers want to go and shoot films over there so people definitely want kashmir to be like any other state of india but is the terrorism which actually uh, uh becomes the line between rest of india and kashmir and that's why i have focused it with my film only on terrorism because as long as as long as terrorism is there and there are people in mainstream india supporting that terrorism um i don't think abrogation of 370 uh, actually can do much except for on paper that problem is resolved Vivek, we are down to the wire for this episode of Common Threads, but uh, I've got more questions, and I know you have more answers. So I'm hoping that you'll join us next week, and we can continue this conversation.
Oh, sure, definitely. I would love to. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. With me today has been Vivek Agnihotri. He is the director of the Kashmir Files, soon to be released worldwide. Please join us again next week here on WGVU's Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began our conversation with Vivek Agnihotri. He's an Indian filmmaker, and shortly, the film The Kashmir Files will be released worldwide. Uh, Vivek is in the United States. He's uh, had several private screenings in major cities, and he's just about to take off for India. But we're happy to have him today. Uh, a little bit about Vivek. As I mentioned, he's a film director. He's also a screenwriter, an author, and an activist. As of 2019, he is a member of India's Central Board of Film Certification and a representative of Indian cinema at the Indian Council for Cultural Relations. He won the National Film Award for Best Screenplay Dialogues for The Tashkent Files in 2019. He debuted in Bollywood with the crime thriller Chocolate in 2005 and has directed multiple films since. So we welcome once again to Common Threads, Vivek Agnihotri. Hello, Vivek. Hi, Fred. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, For those of uh, those people who had not tuned in last week, we'll recap very quickly that you directed a film that you are promoting here in the United States called The Kashmir Files, and it is about the conflict that took place uh, about 30 years ago uh, when the Kashmir Valley was overrun by terrorists and a, a an ethnic cleansing slash genocide took place, killing uh, uh, n- scores and scores of people and displacing uh, many others. Uh, let's talk about that specifically for a moment, that actual act. I, I seem to recall from a book I read a few years ago um, called Days of Destiny that uh, these people were coming in, they were invading cities, and they were screaming, convert, leave, or die. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, see, it so happened, uh, in fact, uh, Kashmir was never free of uh, radicalization and uh, terrorism, which was coming from Pakistan, and now it also comes through Afghanistan. Uh, so what happened was that on the uh, evening of 19th January 1990, suddenly all the the loudspeakers from all the mosques, and there are hundreds of them, started blaring Ralif Galif Shalif, which in Kashmiri means either you convert to Islam or you run or you die. And then the second uh, slogan was that if you decide to run, then run without your wives, leave your wives behind. 
Now, this was very provocative and very, very threatening uh, kind of thing. And then suddenly, they started burning houses of Kashmiri Hindus. Then they started uh, coming to their houses, picking them up, and shooting them, and killing them. And within 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 few hours, there was so many killings, and uh, rapes, and the looting, and the burning of houses, that it became impossible for Kashmiri Pandit community to even breathe over there. So they just left their houses, they in thousands and thousands of people, in trucks and taxis, whatever they could get hold of, they just ran without anything. They had no uh, clothes. In fact, a lot of people ran without shoes. And it was a freezing uh, night on the 19th of January. And these people finally uh, reached Jammu, which is a Hindu-majority place. And there were only jungles and snakes and scorpions over there. After a few days, uh, the government gave them tents and uh, 25, 30 people started living in one tent. A lot of people died of uh, heat strokes and snake bites and scorpio bites. Uh, but then this mayhem, uh, this genocide did not stop. It continued. It went on and on. They went on to uh, kill Air Force officers, uh, government office, officials, and all kinds of people. And you won't believe it that on 18, 19, 20, for these three days, there was no government in Kashmir because the Chief Minister Farooq Abdullah resigned on the 18th without uh, informing anyone. And he said, I cannot handle this situation. And that was very tactical uh, resignation. And so there was no government to take any orders. The police was just standing as bystanders. And police did not do anything. In fact, in a lot of cases, police was also involved in uh, uh, picking Hindus from their houses and bringing them out and killing them. So something like this happened, yeah. And, and I'm just curious, there must be some equivalent to the National Guard that we have in the, in the United States. Why didn't Delhi just bring in forces? Oh, yeah. See, that is because Kashmir... Uh, enjoyed Article 370, which meant that uh, uh, Government of India cannot interfere in domestic affairs without them requesting for it. And so that's why article, everybody is so against Article 370. And the, the state government, Farooq Abdullah, who was the chief minister at that time, he did not involve the central government. Also, the Home Minister at that time, Mufti Muhammad Sayyid, his daughter was also kidnapped, which uh, is a very controversial kind of kidnapping. And also, one has to understand that at that time in India, in the center, there were coalition governments which were lasting only for a few months, six months, one year uh, maximum. And they were more busy with their own affairs rather than looking at Kashmir. So that is the theme of my film, that everybody left Kashmir as if it belonged to nobody. And Kashmir became an orphan state of India. So people said it's best is not to interfere because if we interfere, we will lose Muslim votes in elections. So the best is not to do anything. And these Kashmiri Hindu communities so small that they are not even vote banks. They won't even, nobody cares about their votes. So that was the whole, I think, political calculation. And, and if, if my information is correct, there was also a significant loss of life of Muslims by the hands of Muslims in, in, these, in these attacks. Is that correct as well? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And it so happens, see, there, see, human, it's not that every human being is evil. You know, human, becomes, human beings basically are good people. We are basically kind people. So any moderate Muslim who gave shelter to Hindus in their houses, was killed. Any uh, Kashmiri Muslim who questioned uh, this act of terrorism was killed. Then Kashmiri uh, uh, Muslim police officers who were trying to protect Kashmiri Hindus, they were killed. So that's why Kashmiri uh, Muslims were also killed. That's astounding. Uh, Your daughter Malika... Uh, from everything I've heard, has done a great job with social media posts. And I'm, I'm curious, how can we get this movie to be seen by the youth of, of all backgrounds? I'm wondering if you have a specific um, strategy for, 
for publicizing the movie because obviously the next generation is much more inclusive and social impact minded. So, in my screenings, uh, uh, most of the people are young people, and I have a big fan following amongst youth because I give a lot of lectures in universities. Uh, and our entire campaign is very young and very uh, today's kind of campaign, if you have seen. That's why I got Mallika into doing this, you know, because she understands the pulse of modern social media. Uh, and so it's been a big hit with youth. Let's see. And I'm sure that the word of mouth amongst youth travels faster than my generation. So once they start seeing the film, I'm sure the youth, by word of mouth, will uh, definitely take it to other uh, youth of the world. Last week we were talking about you speaking at colleges, and I want to make sure I understood that correctly. You do that both here in the United States and in India? Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I've been speaking. I've spoken many times at Purdue University, Ohio University, North Carolina, uh, recently, I, I spoke at Harvard Club in Boston, University of Massachusetts. In Atlanta, Georgia Tech, I uh, gave a lecture. And Oxford, I, I have been giving lectures. So I go to lots of uh, top universities of the world, and I speak to students, you know. Uh, primarily, and my, my primary theme is that is uh, what is, after all, humanity? You know, because humanity has been also intellectualized. And therefore, I try to show them the side that why it is so important to keep invested in diversity, in, in art, literature, music, and above all, the whole Hindu concept of oneness. So I bring in Lord Shiva many times, and I say, like Shiva, who uh, stood for oneness, uh, we should believe in oneness rather than anything else. So those kind of themes. But I speak on intellectual terrorism, a whole lot of themes I speak on. Oh, that's wonderful. So it's not just on film. No, I rarely speak on films. I speak mostly on politics. I'm curious, if there was a vote today in the state of Jammu and Kashmir, would you be able to make any predictions in terms of how many would say, hey, we love being a part of India, or we want to be a part of Pakistan, or we would prefer to be an independent country? Do you have any idea where that would go? See, I can, I can guarantee if there is no threat of terrorists, then almost 90% of Kashmir would say we want to be part of, integral part of mainstream India and want to enjoy the same benefits as uh, every other Indian does. I have spoken to all kinds of people in Kashmir. I have been going there often, shooting over there. So I know it pretty well. And I'm not a tourist. I go, uh, I go where most of the people can't even go. So I understand. The thing is, that is because of the threat of terrorism. They keep quiet. They don't want to take any sides. You know, and everybody in Kashmir knows that there is so much of poverty. Everybody in Kashmir wants development. And they know that there is no way Pakistan can ever, ever help them. So on one side you have Pakistan, on the other side you have Afghanistan. Every young boy... If you talk to them honestly, if you go in Kashmir and talk to them, not the activists who are in American universities, talk to them when the, the people who are actually their stakes, their skin in the game is in Kashmir. If you talk to them, they also know that independence is going to make their situation worse. Because what will they do? Where will they uh, get factories from? Where will they get roads from? Where will they get all the jobs from? So they understand it very well. And most of these young uh, boys and girls in Kashmir, they come to Delhi, Bombay, Pune, all these kind of places to study. So they have actually tasted the civil, civilizational development. And when they go back, they are back into hell. And they want to convert this hell into heaven. And they know the only answer is by being part of India. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella, and with me today is Vivek Agnihotri. He's an Indian filmmaker and activist, and we're talking about his latest film, The Kashmir Files. I'm, I'm curious about this. N nothing to do specifically with, with the film itself, but perhaps you can help me out here. If someone is born in Pakistan-controlled 
Kashmir, which I'm assuming a lot of people don't know that there is a big chunk of the state that is controlled by Pakistan. If you're born there, you live there, are you a Pakistani citizen? Do you know? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, okay. You're you're a Kashmiri citizen. <laughs> I don't even know that. I, I have no idea. I don't know which passport they travel on. I see. Oh, have you ever been to uh, uh, that part of uh, no, Kashmir? No, no, I, I haven't been there. That would be very. Uh, that would be a really tricky thing to pull off. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing I know for sure, Fred. Yes. Uh, if you open the borders of Pakistan-occupied Kashmir and give a choice to all the people that you can go wherever you want to, trust me. Most of them will run and come back to Indian side. Is that right? Is it kind of that like is right, yeah. Kind of like uh, what uh, would have happened if uh, when the wall came down in Germany? Absolutely. Uh, all, all, there'd be a lot more East Germans who would run to the West than vice versa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 seems to make sense to me. I know that you were also you've also di- uh, directed Bollywood films. When you say Bollywood. To me, it, it not only it talks about a specific place, that is to say, uh, in, in Mumbai, where, which is the capital of the Indian film industry, but it also, to me, in my, my mind, indicates a genre. So when somebody yeah. says Bollywood, we're talking about significant entertainment, dancing, also intrigue, spy thrillers and all of that, but still uh, not serious film. Is that a correct assessment? Absolutely, perfectly all right. It Actually, see, uh, the international audience may not understand, but India had a great tradition of something called variety show, you know, and which has been running for thousands of years, you know, in theater form, which is uh, you have a very serious scene in theater and suddenly then you have one, uh, 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 comedy, then you have some action, then some melodrama. So it is uh, It is called variety show. You know, there's a variety show and you have all kinds of things mixed into that, you know. So when the film started uh, in India, they picked it up from there. And so Bollywood basically means a light-hearted uh, stuff, just putting lots of acts together. And you have some comedy, some action, some romance, some songs, some dances. So people generally, it's an escapist uh, uh, cinema primarily. Yes. And uh, so that is Bollywood. I started my career doing that because when you are uh, fresh to an industry, you generally try to follow the leaders and the peer groups. And so I also thought. But then I realized that this simply means that your film is as good as the star of your film, A, and second, you'll end up telling stories which people want to hear, and they've heard it hundreds of times. Then why am I wasting my life doing this? And then I uh, I always say that, uh, then I resigned from Bollywood, and I said, now I'm going to tell stories which I want to tell, and the stories which only I can tell. And that was my transformation, and... That's, uh, I started with a film called Buddha in a Traffic Jam, uh, and my next film was The Tashkent Files, and this is my third film after my resurrection. So, so it's not like Hollywood. When I say a film comes from Hollywood, it could be anything. It could be a very serious production similar to The Kashmir Files, or it could be a, a romantic comedy, or it could be a murder mystery. But you would not want to say <coughs> that The Kashmir Files comes from Bollywood, because that Correct? That's... No, Kashmir Files is not from Bollywood because anybody who sees it, the first reaction is, oh, this is so unlike Bollywood. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Tashkent Files. We we spoke uh, a little bit off air on what it entails, and it intrigued me a bit. Okay, Tashkent Files was an uh, innovative film. You know, I don't think anywhere in the world anybody has tried something like that. The closest I can come to is 12 Angry Men, you know. Uh, that is just because coincidentally some people are sitting in a room and uh, chatting. Uh, so Tashkent Files primarily uh, is about, uh, see, India's second prime minister after Jawaharlal Nehru, Lal Bahadur Shastri, India had a war with Pakistan in 1965. Uh, and after that, there was a treaty between India and Pakistan which took place in Tashkent, Tashkent at that time was part of USSR. And so USSR mediated at that time. 
and they invited India and Pakistan to do a treaty. And on the eve of that treaty, uh, India's second prime minister died in very controversial circumstances. Uh, no post-mortem was done, no autopsy was done, and um, the death certificate also has so many uh, discrepancies, prepensies. And in last 52 years, uh, no commission, no inquiry commission uh, was uh, put in place. So basically, this issue remained controversial and ambiguous for last 52 years. And I used it to uh, to communicate to the people that in a democracy, the most important thing, the first fundamental right of a human being is to know the truth. And as citizens of the country, we don't even know the truth about the death of our own prime minister, the second prime minister of free India. So that's the film I made. So uh, I assume that the, the inquiry commission, which government should have made many years ago, let me make it. So I made it and I picked up eight, nine, ten uh, very prominent experts and put them together uh, to inquire about his death. So everybody said this film, nobody is going to watch. It's such a, uh, I mean, it's a verbose film. Everybody is just talking, talking, talking. Why would anybody want to watch a research report? And uh, so everybody rejected, film was stuck for some time, uh, but then finally we released it like a very small release, 175 screens, that's it. Other films are released like 10,000, 15,000 screens. But then audiences suddenly started loving it and it kept growing and growing and growing and it ran for more than 100 years in theaters, became the biggest sleeper hit of the last year. And everybody said it's a verbose film, nobody would see it. And I got the national award for best screenplay and dialogues. So sometimes you don't know how life is going to surprise you. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Congratulations on on all of that. That it it certainly sounds like a film that would attract American audiences as well, or or, or Western oh, yeah. audiences in 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 general. So I'm curious, you the the film that we're talking about today, primarily, which is uh, the Kashmir Files. Uh, it's set to be released worldwide very soon. Uh, I'm curious, has there been any resistance? Has there been any activism on, uh, other, on the other side of the political spectrum to stop theaters from showing this or not? See, I do predict that, yes, there's going to be uh, some problems, but these problems, all these kind of resistance happens a uh, few days before the release of the film. So I have my own information that everybody is waiting for me to come back to India and then all the politics will begin. But uh, this time I am determined that I will remain indifferent to it because uh, uh, that's all they want. They want to provoke me. They want me to uh, say things and so that uh, they can pin me down by you know, coming after me. So, but since my film is not about politics, it's about humanity, I'll keep focused on that. That's wonderful. Now, you are, you are just wrapping up uh, a, a tour of the United States. How many cities have you been in so far? Uh, Fifteen. We did uh, some uh, 15 uh, screenings, big, uh, major screenings. And besides that, uh, in every city, we also do an impact event where I show a documentary uh, on how this film was made, the research which went be, uh, behind it. I show that and I give a speech over there. So all those events and besides that, some uh, speeches here and there in universities and then meet and greet things. So we have done more than uh, 60 odd events so far, yeah. That's that's outstanding. Wonderful. Vivek, if people are interested in keeping up with you and your career, do you have a website? Oh, yeah. It's called VivekAgniotri.com. Okay. And, and, and besides that, I'm very active and accessible on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. People, in fact, not so much Facebook, but Instagram and uh, Twitter, definitely. So people definitely can get in touch with me, and that's the best way. Okay. And uh, finally, before we let you go, I'm just curious uh, about your take on the the situation in India overall, not, not just Kashmir, but what are your thoughts for the coming year? What, what, where, do you, where do you see things going, particularly 
with uh, the communal violence that is taking place and and uh, the 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 various political uh, sides that are clashing right now. India has always been like this. India is a very diverse country. There are people of various religions, faiths, and languages. And uh, if you know India, you'll know how diverse it is. It's and the problem with India is that this diversity interacts on hourly basis. All the time they are interacting with each other. Now what happens is, when you have a soft government at the center, you know, uh, then nobody cares. But when there is a very strong government with so many seats, so many uh, a member of parliaments, and uh, with a leader like uh, Mr. Modi, who is a very, very strong leader, who could actually get away with Article 370, then people try to paint uh, the country in a certain way. But as far as when you live in India, there is no issue at all. There is no problem. You can go anywhere, do whatever. Who cares? You know, but then um, I think media likes to highlight a certain uh, aspect of it. Uh, well, we are out of time, Vivek, and I want to thank you so very much for the time you spent with us both this week and last week as well. And I want to wish you the very best of good fortune uh, with the release of the movie. And I hope that those of us uh, who did not live in the major cities where you were uh, in this tour will be able to see it in the not-too-distant future. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Fred. You're welcome. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. My name is Fred Stella. With me today uh, has been Vivek Agnihotri, the director of The Kashmir Files. Join us again next week here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.